What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith from ESPN. This is former world champion boxer Showtime Sean Porter. Hey, this is Booby Gibson. I'm Josh Creed. Hi, this is Joe Tate, voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And you're listening to Sports Power Talk. You listen to Sports Power Talk. And keep listening, or it'll be wham with the right hand. Ladies and gentlemen, live from the University of Akron, WZIP Sports presents the best sports talk show this side of Lake Erie. No question, with all due respect. This is Sports Power Talk. With the latest in sports news. Your Akron Zips are the 2022 MAC champion. The Zips have defeated the Kent State Electric Chicken. In-depth analysis. Astrology for women is equal to what Joe Rogan is for men. <laughs> have you ever tried DMT? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the hottest takes. He's just bad. Let me tear your hey, labrum and you can go on the You know what? <laughs> <laughs> it's only game. Why you have to be mad? Just the same old Browns! You know, bro. Hard on pitch. I think that was textbook top cheese. Cleveland! This is for you! From the best that Ohio sports has to offer. To the best of the Akron Zips. Now, it's time for SPT. Ladies and gentlemen... From Northeast Ohio and beyond, this is the best sports talk show there is, was, and ever will be. This is Sports Power Talk live from the University of Akron. I'm the host of the show today. My name is Jake Murren. Joining me today, as always, are two great analysts. First, he's one of the most optimistic Browns fans I know. He's the master of football's X and O's. It is Matt Bermuka. Good morning, Akron. You guys ready for some blind Browns optimism? I know I am. I am not feeling that way, and we will get to that later on in the show. And second, he is still a rookie here at WZIP Sports, making his second appearance on Sports Power Talk. It is Casey Rush. Hey, it feels good to be back, and the Steelers are going to be the first team to go to the Tank Bowl and the Super Bowl. Mark my words. Go for it. I'm oh kind of enjoying the Steelers' run as of late. Are you, Matt? Oh, very much so. Very much so. I, I feel, know you two are. I'm, but I'm I not feel, enjoying this. I, feel I know how you guys. Have no sympathy. No sympathy. I want Kenny Pickett to be good enough to where you can't justify replacing him, but at the same time where he doesn't get any better, so you guys just stay in purgatory for years. <laughs> no, I could not have said it yeah. better, Matt, myself. I hope you all enjoyed last week's one-of-a-kind SBT as we welcomed our first live in-studio guest to the show since I've been at WZIP at least. Of course, I'm talking about last show's interview with Akron Zips men's basketball head coach, John Gross. If you missed it or don't even know what I'm talking about, then you can go check it out on all podcast platforms right now on SBT Rewind. For today, though, we're back to finishing the show by talking about the NFL. We'll discuss the Jeff Saturday news, the Browns matchup this week against the Dolphins, and do our Week 10 NFL Pick'ems, leading you right into kickoff. Before that, I'm really excited to talk about baseball. I thought last week's show would be the last time we would talk about the MLB until next season, but we have some juicy award predictions to do, along with Hot Mike, that segment where we answer all of your burning questions 
from our Twitter page at WZIP Sports. In half an hour, we'll talk about the NBA and the new City Edition uniforms. We'll also touch on the Cavs, who have had an up-and-down run in their West Coast trip this week. Right now, though, we'll talk about college football and the Akron Zips' loss to Eastern Michigan for the final home game of the season on Tuesday. But first, we'll tip it off by talking about a more, much more exciting Zip sports team. I'm talking about the Zips men's basketball team. So let's discuss the season opener on Monday night against the South Dakota State Jackrabbits. We won 81-80 to in overtime. Before we break down the season opener for the Zips, here's what Coach Gross had to say after the win. Obviously, great game. Fortunate to win it. Could have went either way. It was a terrific team. I knew that when we scheduled them. I felt that way watching and preparing for them. I felt that way coaching during the game against them. Uh, Eric does a tremendous job. They're really good offensively. They put you in a lot of predicaments with their three-point shooting. You know, Obviously, when you shoot 45% from three like they did a year ago, which led the country, and they led the country in effective field goal percentage at 53%, that's some high-level stuff. There's 368 teams, and you're number one in any category. That's impressive. So they did a great job. I thought they really spread us out. We tried to stay tight. and pre- At the same time, we wanted to protect the three-point line. I thought we did a pretty good job of that. They got 15 attempts off, made four tonight, which is obviously well below their attempt average as well as their percentage. So we did that. Great win. Um, I thought on our end, Castaneda was an absolute warrior. Tonight, and there's a lot of good players out there on both teams. I thought he was the best player in the game tonight and really took over when we needed him to take over, made big shots to stymie runs, made big shots when we needed them to push the lead, made big plays. Uh, And then I thought Freeman was really good with a double-double. I thought he handled the post trap really well, and uh, that created some openings for some of our shooters. But the encouraging thing for me that I take away from it is I thought Johnson, uh, Castaneda, uh, Freeman in particular, and Hankerson played at or above their level tonight, which is great. But I thought all the other guys... You know, Sammy Hunter missed shots he typically makes. Clark will be better. Tribble will be better. You know, Amani Lyles is going to be better. We got some other young guys we're trying to groom that I think could possibly enter the rotation at some point. So, you know, we've still got a lot of upside, which I think is the most encouraging thing about tonight. That was head coach of the Akron Zips, John Gross, on the win over South Dakota State on Monday night. There were there was certainly a lot to take away from what Coach Gross said. He said it was the most challenging opening night game he's had in his six-year career as a head coach. But he was also very complimentary of Xavier Castaneda, who scored 31 on 9 for 14 shooting with 7 assists. Gross said he was the best player on the floor that night. What did you guys make of Coach Gross's postgame comments? Well, you know, I think he was right. South Dakota State, all of their starters were in double figures, and it was balanced. I think uh, you had two guys scoring 14, a guy scoring 13, 12, and 15. Like, that was a very balanced team. You really didn't you didn't have anyone specifically to key in on, and even their bench, you know, they had a uh, their leading scorer off the bench scored nine, they had two other guys scoring six and seven. It was a really balanced attack, and that's something you really, like, that's a really hard thing to prepare for, because, like I said, there's no focal point, and you stop so-and-so, you stop the team. It's It was not like that with South Dakota State. Yeah, South Dakota State made the NCAA tournament last year for a reason. I can even see them winning the Summit League again, even though Oral Roberts is the favorite to win the Summit League this year. This is a battle between two teams that could definitely make noise in the NCAA tournament. Both teams did go off to a slow start, but they... 
the Jackrabbits definitely play as a unit. As Matt mentioned, all five of their starters went into double figures. And this was a well-balanced attack. All we had was Xavier Castaneda and Enrique Freeman bailing us out. We really need to play better as a unit. And the thing is, we were absolutely three happy. We were not making shots at the start. And then we weren't getting rebounds because we don't box out. It's been a recurring theme. It's been a recurring theme for this week. And then, of course, I'm pretty sure we're about to mention this before, Greg Tribble did miss that game-winning layup at the end of regulation, but he didn't make up for it for that. Did make up for it by drawing the game-losing foul and then hitting that game-winning free throw. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Xavier Castaneda looks great scoring 31. I agree that he was the best player on the floor that night. And then Enrique Freeman scores 23, had 14 rebounds. He's a double-double machine out there. And Sam Hunter, man, a bad debut for the Zips with only four points and was 0 for 6 from three-point range. And you kind of alluded to it, Casey. Of course, one of the biggest storylines of the game was Greg Tribble and the opportunity he had to win the game for the Zips in regulation. Here's Enrique Freeman, Xavier Castaneda, and John Gross on Tribble's wide-open miss layup at the end of regulation on Monday night. Next play. Yeah, very simple. Hey, it, it happens. It's so ironic that he was able to shoot the last two free throws of the game, so he was able to redeem himself. No, I think it was just a, a missed layup. Uh, we had his back, though. We told him next play. If he doesn't get that steal, we potentially lose there. So yeah. it's a game-winning game steal right there. Several tonight. He didn't have a good night. He did not finish very well tonight, not to his standard or mine for him. And he knows that, but I've got a lot of belief and trust in Greg. Greg Tribble's won a lot of basketball games as an Akron Zip and uh, has been a great leader for us, extremely hard worker, puts a lot of effort in, comes in late, comes in early, you know, embodies a lot of the qualities and traits we want in an Akron Zip. So I'll live with Greg. I know my jaw certainly dropped when Tribble missed that shot. What did you guys think? And ultimately, he was able to redeem himself with that crucial steal and free throw to win the game in overtime. Yeah, he made that game a lot more stressful for Zips fans than it needed to be. I'm not going to dog on him. I did that exact same thing in a uh, CYO playoff game. I got a, I, I somehow, me, you know, all five foot six of me, uh, used my athleticism to get a steal, missed the game winning layup. Very next play, turned it over, fouled the guy, and lost the game for us, all in a 10-second span. So I kind of related to him there. So I'm not going to dog on him. He still won the game for us. We still improved to 1-0 after that. So it all worked out in the end. Did your teammates have the same response, just next play? or I mean, uh, you guys lost. There, there well, was here's no the thing. next play. I had to play power forward because our starting two uh, centers and power forward fouled out. So I was in there by default. Yikes. That was a dark day. Dang. Yeah. That's a rough story. Casey, yeah, I, was, I know you were in attendance. What'd you make yes, of Tribble's missed layup? Yeah. That was it it was just so anticlimactic because Greg Tribble did have that game winning like he intercepted that pass from South Dakota State and he had like five seconds to get down to the floor. And I was sitting next to Alex Henry during that game and we and he collapsed. My heart sank. But of course, Basketball is a game of bouncing back, and Greg Tribble definitely bounced back. He drew the, like I said before, he drew the game-losing foul, and he ended up making the first free throw, which was enough, and he did a very tactical thing. He missed the second to get not give South Dakota State a chance to draw something up. 
Yeah, thankfully he was able to make it up. Other than that missed shot, there were some areas in the game where the Zips could have played better in. Here's Coach Gross one last time on being hit or miss on some core areas of the game. We missed some shots that were wide open, uh, and some of them weren't close. Like we airballed a couple. That's not our guys. We just I thought whether it's first game jitters. You mentioned that a little bit, George, with X and Enrique earlier. You know, just timing and playing with each other in a game setting or whatever that might be. But I expect that to be better than what it was. And then, uh, you know, obviously we missed a layup that could have won the game. We threw the ball away and press offense there at the end that gave them a chance to win it in overtime. We blew some assignments and coverages, especially in the first half on ball screens and post stuff that I thought was, you know, not, not we weren't very disciplined with that. You know, I, I think we got, you know, I thought our ball movement was just okay. I thought we over dribbled. Uh, and then there were times where I thought we executed really well. We were hitting this in a lot of the core areas tonight uh, inside the game. And so there's a lot of things that we need to clean up. Now that's a great coach. Recognizing the win, but still seeing a lot of room for improvement. What did you guys think uh, about the future development of this team? And before we get to the Mississippi State loss. Well, you know, the hit or miss line was very accurate, but I think it was two guys that were hitting and the rest of the team that was missing. So if you take out Xavier Castaneda and Enrique Freeman from the box score, the rest of the Akron Zips combined to go 11 11 for 40 from the field and 3 of 19 from 3. You had two guys that were hitting. Castaneda went 8 for 12 from 3, which was absolutely white hot. And uh, I don't have Freeman's field goal percentage, but my my bad on that. He went 10 for 15. Yeah. Yeah, so... Two guys were hitting. The rest of the team was missing. Yeah, and Xavier Castaneda, those threes were electric. He was hot the entire night and made some a lot, or made a lot of those shots were very difficult. Oh, to... there were just there was points where he's like, he basically just said, "You're going." He said, "Basketball, you're going in the net," and like they, it, yeah. it just happened. Like some of those shots had no business falling, and they did. Yeah, we need more. Yeah, we need more than just two players on on the floor at one time. Like, you have five players out onto the floor. They all got to do something. We need more than, like I said before, we need more than Castaneda and Freeman making all their all of our shots. And we need to get more rebounds because we're not boxing out when we're shooting or when they're shooting because we're getting out-rebounded, and that can't happen. Yeah, let's talk about the Mississippi State game now. We lost 73-51 to for the Barstool Invitational. Xavier Castaneda, 20 points, 5 of 14 shooting with 6 assists. Enrique Freeman, only 9 points on 3 for 5 shooting and only 3 rebounds for the big man. What did you guys make of the loss to Mississippi State? Yeah, where'd the offense go that was there in the jar Monday night? Like, where'd, where'd that team go? You know, Jake, you alluded to it earlier. You were 16 of 49 from the field. That's 32% from the field. Six for 27 from three. That is a completely different team that showed up in the Barstool Invitational that showed up at the JAR Monday night. Yeah, we're, yeah, once again, like South Dakota State, we got off to another slow start and we became very three happy. Like, we're not the Warriors. Stop it. Just get to the paint and get some points that way. And not only that, we're not taking advantage of any turnovers. We actually had the winning end of the turnover margin. We forced 14 turnovers compared to nine for them. But, again, we were getting out-rebounded because we don't box out. We were getting out-rebounded offensively and defensively because 
That's the biggest skill. That's one of the biggest skills they teach you as a basketball coach is to box out. Like, I played two years in junior high basketball. I was a bench warmer. But I do remember one particular lesson, and that's the box out. There was one particular play in junior high where I boxed out a defender. I was able to get the ball, and it tipped over to the off to one of my teammates, and he ended up getting the layup. Boxing out is so important. you got to help out your teammates, and boxing out is a great way to do it. And, Jake, like you mentioned, Castaneda had 20 points. He was the only zip to be in double figures. We just couldn't come together as a unit. We're not making shots. We just couldn't not finish at all aspects when it's very important, when it matters most. Yeah, Akron was out rebounded 43 to 25, and the Bulldogs shot the ball at 52.7%, whereas the Zips shot 32.7%. Zips didn't turn over the ball much, as you alluded to, Casey, but they were missing a lot of shots, and hopefully, ball movement will improve over time with this team. Their next game is on Tuesday night at the Jar against Morgan State. Morgan State is 1-2 with losses to Xavier and VCU, but they did destroy PSU Allegheny 130-49. Will Thomas and Malik Miller are two of their prominent guards. What do you guys make of the matchup against Morgan State? I believe PSU Allegheny is like an FCS school or some lower rank. There's no yeah, way yeah, that you beat they're you, 130 lower. to 49. You do not beat another Division One team by they're 89 points. Not, they're definitely not Division One. But though. no, they they do have a lot of offensive firepower. I mean, even that loss uh, against Xavier. I mean, Xavier's always a tournament contender. Scoring 73 on them is a something to take very seriously. Yeah, they did let that VCU get a, VCU game get away from them in the final few minutes, but this is going to be another test for the Zips early on in the season. You need your role players to start doing something. You know, Casey and I, Jake, you've alluded to, you can't just run two on five offensively. You you need some other guys to get going, and you need it now. Yeah, not only that, we need to take advantage of turnovers. We need to get off to a better start, and we actually need to finish. We need more than Xavier Castaneda and Enrique Freeman scoring points. You need Greg Tribble, and there's Henderson guy. He's been doing pretty well. He did pretty well against South Dakota State, I thought. He needs to get involved. We need to get to the paint, stop being so three-happy. Just get some points, and like I said before, box out. Yeah, I completely agree with you. ESPN Analytics gives Akron an 83.6% chance to win. I do like our chances at home against Morgan State. Before we move on to talk about Zips basketball, we should have done this last week, but last week's show was so special, so unique with John Gross coming in studio. But let's predict the top five teams in the MAC. Of course, the preseason coaches pool was a big storyline going into this season because Kent State was number one, Toledo number two, Akron was at number three, followed up by Ball State and Ohio filling the four and five spots. But I asked us to create a list for the top Top five teams in our personal polls. So, Matt, I'll go to you first. What does your top five look like? My top five. Actually, I went Bowling Green to me has gotten out to a really hot start. I think they're a contender. I'm going to put them in my five spot. Uh, Ball State, they were a preseason top five in the coaches poll. They're my number four team. Akron Zips, number three. I want to put you guys higher, but until you can prove that there are a third, fourth, fifth, and so on members of the team, I can't really do that. And then, uh, you know, good old Kent Reed, Kent Wright, Kent State at number two in the rankings. 
They look like a more complete team than us currently. And number one, Toledo. They're off. You know, they're off to a little shaky start right now, but I, I think they'll correct themselves and eventually ride the ship. Yeah, my poll is close to Matt's. At number five, I have Ohio. Like they definitely, they're definitely a dangerous team, especially in conference play. And number four, I got Bowling Green. Like Matt mentioned, they did get off to a very good start. Number three, I have us. Yeah, you need to start working as a team, otherwise I'll put you up higher. Number two, I have the team that stole from the Chargers, and that is that school down the road, Kent. And number one, I got Toledo. They earned their number one seed in the MAC last year for a reason. They're a very dangerous team. I really think they can win the regular season MAC title again. Yeah, that's a great list, guys. But mine is better. Number okay. five, Ball State. They're one and one. They beat Earlham one hundred nine to thirty nine in their season opener. Lost to Indiana State in their second game, eighty three to seventy one. They're a pretty physical team in the paint, but can also knock down threes if needed. Number four, I have the Ohio Bobcats. They lost to Belmont by one in their season opener. Beat Cleveland State 81-70. to Not a ton of guys came back from last year, but they're always a dangerous basketball program. Number three, I have Toledo. They have a lot of returning players from last season and have five players averaging double-digit points this season, including Ray J. Dennis, who is averaging 23 points per game on 57.6% shooting. Number two, the Kent State's Electric Chickens. Have, of course, they're 2-0, and have wins over Northern Kentucky and Baldwin Wallace. Sincere Carey's looking pretty good, averaging 25.5 a game on 60% shooting. But number one, I got to give it to the Akron Zips. Nice. Yeah. Woo. I'm, I'm usually not a homer. I know. I've, I've known you for a while. <laughs> but I got to give it. You're and, usually really depressing when it comes to the teams you root for. This well, is like out of pocket. A lot of the teams I root for are very depressing, Matt. So, I, I'm so. right there with you. But I, Jake, I, you, you've turned a new leaf on life, man. I'm yeah, proud. I got to put Akron at number one. We're talented enough. Hopefully some other guys other than Enrique Freeman and Xavier Castaneda can show up and do something at the role player role on this basketball team, but I do like Enrique Freeman and Xavier Castaneda to get it done and win the regular season for the MAC. Let's get into the Zips football team, though, and let's recap their loss to Eastern Michigan on Tuesday night. DJ Irons went 10 for 16, 90 yards, a touchdown, and interception before having to leave the game. Jeff Undercuffler Jr. came in in relief, 8 for 18. 133 yards through the air and two interceptions. I warned everyone on last week's show about the rushing attack of Eastern Michigan with Samson Evans, who averaged five yards a carry. And he showed out on Tuesday night with 133 yards and two touchdowns on 24 carries. What did you guys make of the Zips-Eagles game on Tuesday night? I hope you all spent your election day doing your civic duty and not watching this game. I really hope that you made use of your Tuesday and didn't wait for midweek maxion just for the zips to ruin your night. Yeah, I really this, hope so. Yeah, there's this one drawback to being in the marching band is that you got to attend all the games. I like, forgot about that. I'm so sorry, Casey. <laughs> yeah, it's okay, Matt. I did this to myself. But anyways, you would have thought that Infosystem Stadium was turning into a turnover bakery bake sale this last on Tuesday night, we had three interceptions, including two, you said, from 
under Cuffler and one by DJ Irons. He did get hurt. He did get hurt in the middle of the game. But the thing is, we weren't converting on third downs. We weren't stopping the Eagles on third down. We had, and the sad thing is, we had more yards. But the thing is, we had multiple drives where we just came up empty. And that's why we ended up losing by six points. And there was also some costly penalties on Akron because we had more yards on penalty than they did. And the thing is, the stats don't matter. The only thing that matters is the score on the scoreboard at the end of the game. And the sad thing is, we were in the top 25 in passing yards. But that doesn't mean anything if the rest of your team doesn't do anything. Yeah, I agree with you. One highlight of the game, at least, was Cam Wiley, who had a breakout game with 144 yards on 18 carries. He also scored three touchdowns, two of which came in the fourth quarter when the Zips were on the verge of a comeback. Nonetheless, though, it was Eastern Michigan who came out on top, and the Eagles are now bowl eligible. Let's talk about the last two games for this Zips football team against Buffalo and Northern Illinois. Buffalo is 5-5 five and five and 4-2 and two in conference play. After five consecutive impressive wins against Bowling Green, Eastern Michigan, and Toledo, the Bulls have now lost two straight to Ohio and Central Michigan. What do you guys make of the Buffalo Bulls matchup for the Akron Zips? You know, uh, ESPN's Football Power Index gives you a 10.8% chance of winning, and I think that number is too generous. I think so too. This is gonna. Well, this game is on this upcoming Friday or, or next Friday, right? No, um, it's on Saturday. Oh, it's on this Saturday. Oh boy, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, guy. This is gonna. This isn't. This is a bad way to spend a Saturday. Going to be watching this game. Oh boy. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be watching other games other than that Zips football game. Besides, Buffalo did beat Toledo, who recently booked their ticket to the MAC championship game by clinching the MAC West title. Yeah, I just don't see us beating Buffalo at all. They're more all around than we are. They are on a two-game losing streak, but that doesn't mean anything. We're on like a what a ten-game losing streak. (laughs) They are on a two-game losing streak, but that doesn't matter if you find if you have an opponent on a nine-game losing streak that continues to find ways to lose. Uh, That's for sure. Buffalo uses as many runners in the backfield as they have two backs with over 400 yards this season. And three of their running backs have four or more touchdowns on the year as well. Their QB, Cole Snyder, is also pretty sharp and has a strong connection with wide receiver Justin Marshall. I really don't think the Buffalo game is going to be close. And then... Last game of the year, Northern Illinois. They're three and seven and two and four in conference play. They're coming off of a win against Western Michigan and play the Miami Redhawks next week before hosting the Zips to end the regular season. They have experimented with a couple of quarterbacks this season, but they haven't had to experiment with their running backs at all. Harrison Way Lee has rushed for 863 yards and five touchdowns, and Ontario Brown has rushed for 592 yards and six touchdowns this season. Northern Illinois, I think the last chance for the Zips to pick up a second win of the year. What do you guys think? Would you believe me if I told you I was optimistic? Knowing you, Matt, personally, yes, I would believe you. Oh, go- oh well, I'm not optimistic. That was a lie. <laughs> uh, <that's right>. uh, <laughs> no, going off uh, ESPN's Football Power Index again, 16% chance to win. I think that's being generous. You are going to be on the road at that point, a 1-10 in 10 football team. 
I think those guys would just rather go home at that point. Like, throw in the towel. Here's here's the thing. Northern Illinois has no passing game, but they got everything else. We have a passing game. We don't have anything else. And we just, I just don't see us beating Buffalo or Northern Illinois. You might as well call this season over. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I think our only chance is against Northern Illinois because I don't think we have a chance against Buffalo. Northern Illinois, they're 3-7, and 2-4 and four in conference play, like I mentioned. We have a chance, but again, I'm not optimistic like you are, Matt. What was it, 16%? Yeah, yeah, right out, just a tad over 16%. Just a tad over 16%. I think that's a little generous as well. I think the Zips finished the year with consecutive losses, which could you imagine if they lost week one? Oh, I mean, they almost I did. They we, tried to. They tried to we lose. They tried to lose. It said, St. Francis, here you go. Yeah, we fortunately beat them in overtime, but yet another rough year for the Akron Zips football program. Let's turn it over to the rest of the college football slate, though. Oh, and. Man. The reaction to the second college football playoff rankings, Georgia was number one, Ohio State number two, Michigan number three, TCU number four, and Tennessee fell to number five. We had this debate on last week's show, Georgia versus Ohio State for number one. I said Georgia number one, Ohio State number two. Last week's show, the two people disagreed with me. What did you guys think on that debate? Knowing the two people that were on last week, I see why. Uh, but no, I I don't see why you can put it. I don't see why you could put Ohio State over Georgia. I mean, Georgia's the defending national champion. They have to get that kind of bias. They've earned it. Like I I don't think yeah. it's that controversial. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Georgia deserved that number one spot, especially after coming off of that giant win over Tennessee. And then I want to ask you guys before we go to break: Did TCU deserve to be at number four? Well, look, they're the last undefeated team. There's four undefeated teams in contention for the playoff. Uh, and, you know, the ones below them, Tennessee at five, they're eliminated from conference championship play. I don't see how you could justify putting uh, anyone over TCU. I, that's something they've earned. Until they mess it up eventually, they're going to be the four seed and get wrecked in the first round. Yeah, the four undefeated teams definitely earn a spot. Like you said, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, and TCU. TCU actually... Had a slow game against Texas, but they were playing at Austin last night. And the thing is, TCU managed to get the job done. And with that Georgia-Ohio State battle, I definitely have Georgia winning because you have they their two biggest wins were Oregon and Tennessee. Obviously, Oregon's going to drop after they lost after they lost last night, and our. Ohio State's biggest wins were Notre Dame and Penn State, and that's it. Yeah, I agree with you guys. And real quick before break, any changes in the top four after this week? I don't see how there can be. Until until Ohio State plays Michigan, I don't see how anyone else could be in that top four. I don't think so either. Yeah, I don't think so either. Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU. For the top four, of course, like you mentioned, Casey, Oregon will move down. I expect USC to take that number seven spot. We'll go to break. When we come back, we'll do winners and losers for week 11 of college football to tie a bow on college football. Then we'll transition to the NBA, talk about the city edition uniforms. We have some pretty fun rankings for that, along with around the Rue and the Cavs West Coast trip. It all happens next on Sports Power Talk.
everyone, and welcome back to the Best Sports Talk Show this side of Lake Erie. My name is Jake Murren. I'm the host of your show today, and I'm joined by two great analysts. First, Matt Permuka. Good morning, Akron. How you doing? And second, Casey Rush. How are you guys doing? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? All right, guys. Let's get into college football. We talked about it before break. Let's wrap it up right now with my favorite segment when it comes to college football. Let's do our week 11 winners and losers. Let's start with the winners. Casey, I'll go to you first. I couldn't find anything, so I just went with the top four teams, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU. Real basic. I went with Notre Dame wide receiver Braden Lindsey. Did you guys see his crap he had against Navy yesterday? I did not see I it. I saw a picture, but I did not see the video. No way. You need to see the video of this. If you all listeners have time to look it up, this is probably one of the coolest catches I've ever seen, and this isn't my Notre Dame bias. So it was a fade, you know, one-on-one matchup. Quarterback threw a fade ball to him in the end zone. He pinned the ball on the defender's back and then just took possession, grabbed it in one hand, swung it around the defender, broke free. One of the craziest catches I've ever seen. Yeah, I completely agree. My winner's... I'm surprised neither of you had this winner because I thought we would all come with it. Cameron Babb. Oh, yeah. Cameron Babb. That's such a good story. Fifth season with Ohio State. Caught his first career touchdown in the fourth quarter yesterday against Indiana. And the big storyline here is that he has suffered four torn ACLs in his career. That's insane. And Coach Ryan Day put it into perspective really by saying that's nine months of recovery yep. times four. I, I, I tore my ACL this past November. I was like fully cleared for everything in August. I cannot imagine doing that three more times. That like that one kinda like hits home, but like, oh my gosh, just to, yeah. good on him, man. Yeah, Cameron yeah. Babb spoke after the game talking about how he never gave up. He always had the end goal in mind. And then, of course, they put him into the game in the fourth quarter, pretty much designed a play to go to Cameron Babb That's and awesome. the scene at Ohio Stadium in Dude, the horseshoe. The players all amazing. They all swarmed him. It was just heartwarming and wholesome. Enough to make a grown man cry. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, get, like, I'm like getting chills right now, and I'm not even that much of an Ohio State fan. Yeah, I'm extremely angry that I didn't see any advertising or ESPN making. A, you didn't see any of that. No, really. I oh my gosh. It. Yeah, I was too busy looking at watching the men's soccer game and losing. So. Ah, nice, nice, nice. So there's that. Yeah, it was an incredible scene for Cameron Babb and the Buckeyes yesterday. My other winner is Penn State. Because they uh-huh. beat Maryland 30-0 to yesterday in a funny clip out of that game. Head coach James Franklin did 15 push-ups on the sideline after getting an unsportsmanlike conduct nice. penalty. So <laughs> I thought that was a pretty funny uh-huh. clip from that game. Talk about discipline. Losers. Always more fun than winners. Matt, yes. go ahead. All right, so uh, my first – I have two. I'll make these quick. My first loser is the LSU football team uh, for their fr- – it was – they apparently had a very freezing cold game against the Arkansas Razorbacks. And to combat that, they had hot chocolate and chicken broth on the sideline. Now, did you guys know the actual temperature of the game? I'm not aware, no. 44 degrees. What? And in Arkansas, yes, they had hot chocolate, 
chicken broth, and a bunch of other warm drinks on the sideline for their players. Can you, like, how did Brian Kelly let that happen, going from South Bend, Indiana, to actually having winters, to letting his players get hot cocoa because it's 44 degrees? I can understand if it was in the teens, but 44 degrees? Like, that's nothing! Like, Casey, I woke up this morning at 7 a.m. It's 35 degrees. I went and got an iced coffee as I was wearing shorts. Like Exactly. Oh, those Southern boys ain't ready. And then my other loser of the week is the Oregon Ducks. Tied 34-34, minute 26 left. They go for it on fourth and one from their own. It was in the red zone. I don't know the exact yard line. Their running back slipped. He just lost his footing on the handoff. Turnover on downs. Washington goes down the field, kicks the game-winning field goal, and Oregon loses on senior day. Yeah, I definitely have Oregon as one of my losers as well. And I knew that Washington won on a game-winning field goal, but I didn't think it was going to be that bad. Like going for it on fourth, on fourth in your down. own red it, zone. Yep, minute twenty left, and then you end up, then you end up losing. My other loser is Kentucky. How do you lose to Vanderbilt at home? That's the Van- Will Levis effect, baby. Vanderbilt, the literal punching bag of SEC football. If I remember correctly, they were on a 26-game losing streak in conference play. Hey, now they're on a one-game win streak. Yes, they are. Yeah. Like, how do you lose to Vanderbilt at home? Like, my sides have completely fallen off as of this moment. Like, how? So I have two losers, and they have one common theme, and it's Virginia. Because both losers, oh first, Uh-oh. the Virginia Cavaliers quarterback, Brennan Armstrong, through two pick sixes in the first 16 seconds of the game. 16? What? <laughs> How did I not see that? 16 seconds? In the first 16 seconds of were the game. Were his first two passes pick sixes? I don't know if they were the first two passes, but in the first 16 seconds of the game, oh, two pick sixes. That's awesome. They lost 37-7 to yesterday to Pitt. And then my other loser, Virginia Tech... They lost 24-7 to to Duke yesterday, and Duke trolled the Hokies after the game by posting on Twitter that Virginia Tech's account is verified because yes, they subscribed. it's subscribed <laughs> to Twitter. Dude. Oh, my God. Again. This is such ES- a fun segment. Again, ESPN, why do you not send me these notifications? I would have laughed hysterically. Oh, you got to get go Bleacher Report. You got to follow Barstool Sports, Oh, man. just go uh, on Twitter, man. Burn some, burn some of your precious time to never get back. It's worth it. I should. So I'll tie a bow to our college football talk on this week's show. And something I'm very excited to get into with the NBA is the newest edition of the City Edition uniforms. They were officially revealed Uh. for all teams on Thursday. I asked all of us up here to create two lists, both for three uniforms, our top three and our bottom three uniforms that were announced for all teams on Thursday. Matt, I'll go to you first. Top three uniforms. Jake, I got to put something out on the air first. Last time, me and you specifically talked about NBA jerseys. You blamed that. You blamed the Cavs jerseys being ugly on my five-year-old nephew Tucker. And then I, no, but guess what happened after that? That was the same day the Browns didn't fall on the onside kick. I think you blaming a five-year-old caused us to lose. Today you have a chance to redeem yourself. We are playing an AFC East opponent, and we are talking NBA jerseys. If you do not blame my five-year-old nephew for these jerseys being bad, the Browns will win today. It's foolproof logic. So you want me to blame him? Or no, you do I not do not. Me? Last time okay. you blamed him, we lost it terribly. So you're not blaming him this week. Your nephew 
out of my mouth. All right, good. For, for, those, so- <laughs> for those of you listening, this would now be a very good time to go get some popcorn. Yeah, this is about to get awesome. Yes. Ah, uh, top three, the Spurs. Have you like the turquoise on these? Oh, it is so beautiful, so beautiful. It's highlighter done right. You're looking okay. at me all weird. Uh, okay. Wow. All right. Spurs are in your top three. They're wow. my number one. You're number one. Yes. Dang. The Milwaukee Bucks are my number two. I love the blue. I just, I love it. I love the way it looks. And number three, Washington Wizards with those bright pink. Those those are beautiful. Cherry blossoms, that's, baby. That's a respectful one. For me, the Dallas uniforms and the Milwaukee uniforms, both of them are blue. Yeah. I'm not a fan of them. I'm not a fan of either one. And the Spurs? Yeah, I'll get to that awesome. in a second because it's that's awesome, in, Jake. That's in one of my lists, but oh, not wow. my top well, list. Well, your opinion's prob- wrong. So. The problem is, Matt, I'm not a big fan of bright colored jerseys. My top three, it's no doubt... Boston is one of them. Boston is at number one. I love the script, and you got the added tribute to Bill Russell with the 11 diamonds on the jersey. I like that, yep. And my number two is Atlanta. I love their... Have you seen the court for it? The court's what killed it. it, That's what killed it for me, where it's like an actual peach in center court. I'm not looking... I'm not paying attention to the court. We're not paying attention to the court. We're paying attention to the jerseys. I just love the font. I just love the font of the numbers and the... Of the numbers in the word mark, and I like the black and peach. I thought they complement each other. And my number three is Memphis. I'm just a sucker for wearing black. I look very, look very good in black clothing. It's I'm just a sucker for black jerseys, and I think the font and the side panels on the Memphis on the Memphis jersey look very very See, gorgeous. They almost made a list of mine too, but not this one. For the Grizzlies. Yeah, I didn't like Interesting. Them. I actually like the Grizzlies a lot. Mm-hmm. I just did pull up the Atlanta court design. Yeah, not great, Matt. Yeah, yeah not great. Let me see that. They do have it's a, a peach, peach right so like, in the center like, of it's the court. Ci- it's city edition, oh, so you have the custom court that goes with it. The court is part of the city edition. Like, it's yeah. intertwined. That's a good point. My top three, so I'll start at number three, work my way up. Number three, I have the 76ers. Okay. The brotherly okay. love, it's different. It looks good. It looks clean for mm-hmm. the 76ers. Number two, the Houston Rockets. Okay. Yeah, those. that's a nice uh, homage to their 90s days. Yeah, I think the Rockets uniforms look very, very good. And then number one, okay. I feel like you either love them or you hate them, the Golden State Warriors. You are so wrong in every aspect of this list. To be not only do I love these uniforms for the Golden State oh Warriors, which hurts me to say because oh of course the Warriors Cavs rivalry, but I'd be willing to argue that the Warriors City Edition uniforms this year are a top five NBA jersey of all time. I'm walking out of this studio. I'm done. Oh, you're definitely gonna be walking out because I had the Warriors in my top five as well. I definitely as oh, you as what? you know, I'm a big fan of black and gold and these guys when they tuck in their jerseys, you can't see the design. I mean We played them Friday night. They were in these I jerseys. Know, but, you couldn't see the yellow. But a lot of people don't like the design. Because there's a flower on like their waistline. It looks, it looks stupid. Great. It looks great. The looks design awesome. is in their pants because they tuck them in. <laughs> We you can't kinda, see them. It, it's the element of knowing it's there, Matt. That, Just knowing I, I'm it's sorry. There. I'm not thinking about that during a game. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Steph Curry has 40 on me. Not, oh, my gosh, there's a really cool design tucked into his shorts. Sure. Okay, okay. I think it's a, I think it's a great jersey, though. Okay, I think Look, it's so wow. amazing. Okay, Absolutely love it. You're going to love okay, this list. Let's move on. Bottom three. 
Bottom three, Queso, have you started us off? All right. My bottom three, no particular order. It's One of them is Miami. Like I said before the show, it's it looks like scrapbooking. And why would you put it on a white jersey? And and Jake, you show me Jimmy Butler's number choice. That's the thing. The, jer- the players could pick which numbers they want and what, and what letters they want. And it's it looks awful. I'd say bring back the Miami Vice because those were actually very, very good jerseys. And my my second one is Orlando. I understood the theme of this, but I think they could have done more if they wanted to make it look like a villain jersey. And number and my other one is Brooklyn. They took the same design they did for the other city edition. But instead, they put it on white. Like, why? Why would you do that? It looked even better on black. I'd say go back to black. There was nothing wrong with that. Interesting list. Can we talk about the Miami Heat jerseys for a minute? Because yeah, I think I know where you're going with this, and I think I okay. Because I had a conversation last night, and the person I was talking to, my girlfriend, loved these jerseys. Mm. Never mind. All about them. And on Instagram, she was she said some words that I don't even want to say on the air because I know Logan Congrove will get in my head if I say <laughs> well, them over the air. Okay. But she loved these jerseys, and I think they're absolutely disgusting. At first, I at first I actually enjoyed them, mm-hmm. and then I saw the players could customize them to a certain extent. And then you pull up their Instagram and see these different player customizations. Yeah, terrible. Well, Jake, while you were uh, bringing that up, I do think um, the Hades must have frozen over because Logan Congrove has agreed with you three times in the group chat. He has. He agreed with you on the Golden State jerseys being good. He agreed that they're top five, and he agrees that he does not like these Heat jerseys. So I think um, it's frozen over down there. And the thing is, Logan also disagrees with you on the Golden State jerseys. He thinks they're top five Yeah, I thought I alluded to that, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, uh, I don't know what to say. I guess I can give my bottom three. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Go for it. Orlando. I could not tell this was an alternate jersey. It looks like they're standard jerseys. I didn't see anything special. Uh, Golden State. I'm sorry. When the design is hidden, when the design's hidden, how can you admire it? You can't. It's in their pants. I think like, as long as you stick with one of their colors in gold, then oh it's, definitely, it's definitely a very good And choice. number one, Charlotte, for reasons I cannot elaborate on. Mm. That's fair. That's fair. So I thought we would kind of all bring the same three jerseys for the bottom list because I've seen them universally hated so far. Number three for me, the Portland Trailblazers. Okay. It says oh. just PDX across the chest. The colors don't really match. I could see that. Not a fan of the Portland uniforms. Number two, the Hornets for their letter choice. We'll yeah, leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> leave it at that. And then... The, the sad thing is that jersey actually looks pretty good, but like you said with the word mark, I just don't agree yeah, with it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then the worst jersey, in my opinion, the San Antonio Spurs. You are wrong on so many levels. <laughs> you like this? I can't believe you like them. Yeah. Casey, what are your thoughts on the Spurs jerseys? Like I said before, I'm not a huge fan of brightly colored jerseys. And Do you guys just like not wear Spurs, colors? I saw the Spurs jersey. I'm like, uh, no. Did you like the Padres City Connect uniforms? If I knew what those were, I would answer. Look them up right now because okay. they look nearly identical. And the Padres uniforms got a lot of hate as well 
because of the color choice that was completely different than what the Padres currently this run. This looks with. nothing like the Spurs. No, but that's the color of that. That was in the Spurs '90s God, logos. Look up the worse. '90s Spurs logos with like uh, David Robinson. Look up the '90s teams. I can see Matt's computer right now. My God, that looks even worse. The San Diego. That's not. That the Spurs one, that's within their color scheme. That's taking a tertiary color and making it the primary. That's what the City Edition's supposed to do. It's following the algorithm. My gosh, we're yelling at each other about jerseys. I love this. <laughs> it, guys, is, it is pretty entertaining. Guys, we're back to normal. Logan no longer agrees with us. He Logan, thinks, oh, the, thank, Spurs. Thank you, he thinks Logan. the Spurs thank are you. very good. Thank you, Logan. Well, there you go. Mr. Evil, Logan Congrove, contributing to the show. Look at that. Even when he's not on the show. Let's move on, though. Let's talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers and their City Connect uniforms. Hmm. Again, the crowd team split on this one. Do you like it? Do you not? That's not the answer I'm looking for today, though. Instead, we're going to make this into Around the Rue, where we debate around the table and bring it to you via our Twitter page, at WZIP Sports. So the question this week is, what's the best Cavs City Edition uniform in the last four years? So option A is the uniform they wore from 2019 to 2020, B from 2020 to 2021, C from 2021 to 2022, and then of course, D, the one that was released this Thursday that that they'll wear this season, the 2022 to 23 NBA season. I'm going to post it on Twitter right now so you can follow along, see what they look like, and contribute in the poll for this week. But first, we have to answer Matt. What do you think? Well, there's a clear, obvious answer, and it's last year's City Edition jerseys. I bought one of them at a game last year, and I came home wearing it. And my mom's like, where'd you get that old Cavs jersey at? She's like, that's what they wore. <laughs> like, what, that's what they wore when I was young. And I'm like, no, that's the thing. These are their throwbacks. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I really like those. That looks like the Cavs I grew up with. And I think that's the clear answer. You have the Cavalier. You've got you know your champion. You've got your uh, championship diamonds on the bottom. Overall, great design, and the court that went with it was phenomenal. Yeah, for the first time, I actually agree with Matt. I have option C as well. They look like true throwback uniforms. It's definitely a throwback to the Cavs of old. It's definitely not option D, and it just looks ugly. I like I understood what they were trying to do. It, like they were trying to play tribute to Cleveland Metro Parks, like that's natural beauty. But the thing is, what looks good in landscaping does not look good on a jersey. Let's be real here. Yeah, I agree with you. If you were to rank them in order, though, Matt, because you said C was your yeah. favorite, but how would you rank them? All right, so Casey, you have the graphic. I would go last year's, which is option C on Around the Rue, mm. option A, which was those dark blue ones. Uh, number three, which is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame tributes, those black ones. And not because I don't... I actually like these jerseys more than most. I just think the other ones were so good. I would have to put this year's at the bottom. Yeah, that's yeah. a fair list. Yeah, I would definitely switch B&A around. Other than that, our lists are very, very similar. So my favorite is not C. You're wrong. What? It is A. Okay. Uh, well, you're not. I think... The City Edition uniforms oh. from uh. the 2019 to 2020 season are one of the best Cavaliers uniforms of all time. I would agree with that. I just think the City Editions have been so good. <laughs> like, Just the, the blue. I miss the blue colorway 
in the Cavaliers already, and they just got rid of it. It was a throwback to like the early two thousands Cavs, while also looking like the seventies and eighties Cavs. I see what you're getting completely. I I see what you're. I love the inline lettering. I love the stripes on the sides going down the whole way. Mm. I adore letter A's jerseys. I wish they would bring them back. Then C, I have them at number two. D, I have them at number three. Okay. And then B, I have them at number four. I liked the concept, the concept that they tried to do with the rock and roll jerseys. Yeah. To me, it was just a flop. Okay. Okay. So let yeah. us know what you think. Go to our Twitter page right now at WZIP Sports. Of course, we're talking to you through the radio, so you're not seeing these jerseys, but you can on Twitter right now. The poll is live. Let us know what jersey you think is your favorite and let us know why in the comments. Again, that is live right now on Twitter at WZIP Sports. And we've been talking about jerseys for the last 10, 15 minutes, guys. This has been fun. Are you ready to talk about actual basketball now? Sure. Yes, let's do it. Well, let's do it. Let's talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers and their rough West Coast trip. Of course, we have losses to the Clippers, Kings, and Warriors in that trip. Guys, what's going on with the Cavs? Well, you're on the West Coast, and apparently you just don't know how to finish games. It's a night and day difference with this team. You had two incredibly competitive games with the Boston Celtics that you were able to close out in the fourth quarter. Uh, but on this trip, that same team just has not been there. Uh, I found this stat via, I'm sorry, I, I, someone, it was, it was a writer from The Athletic. I'm forgetting their name right now. But they had this stat. In the final three minutes of the, Cat, of the Clippers, Kings, and Warriors game, so those final three minutes alone, the Cavs points for and points against. 13 points scored to 49 points given up in the final three minutes of those past three games. They can't close out these games. They're letting them fall. Yeah, this West Coast trip has been absolutely abysmal. Let's start off with the Clippers. And, uh, man, this is the roughest of the three. You had a 13-point lead. You have five minutes left. You're up 12 with 419. You even reiterate that more. (laughs) Yeah, you need... You had more rebounds, but you had more turnovers than the Clippers. You had a 98.7% chance of winning, according to ESPN, and you absolutely blew it. And you wasted Donovan Mitchell and Evan Mobley's performances with 30 and 26, respectively. And the sad thing is, the Clippers, like we talked about complete games for college basketball, the Clippers had all five of their starters go in double figures. Like, you need more than... Donovan Mitchell and Mobley scoring for you guys. You need to play a complete game. And for the Kings, again, we had more. We've been cooking up more Apple turnovers on this trip. And again, the Kings had all five of their starters go in double figures. And Mitchell did score 38, but we need more than him. Like, we need more than four players scoring in double figures. And against Golden State, I thought that was the most complete game, shockingly. Because we had all five of our stars go to double figures. We played as a team. The sad thing is we couldn't stop one guy. And he, and you already know who his name is. He had 40 points. All right, I'll just say the name Stephen Curry. Well said, gentlemen. Matt, can yeah. you say that stat one more time for me in the last three minutes of the past three games? Of those or three games, yes. So the Cavs have given up 49 points in those three games and have scored 13. So let me do quick math in my head. Shoot, 30, that 30, they have been outscored by 36 points in the final three minutes of all these games. The Clip, that is so losing basketball. The Clippers yep. game specifically, they were outscored 3-19 to 19 in the last three minutes. 
Yeah. That was where that was where a bulk of those points came from. That's some ridiculous play there from the Cavs in the worst way possible to close out games. Something I've noticed on this West Coast trip is that Darius Garland, while he may be filling up the bucket, he's not doing it efficiently. Yep. Only two yep. for nine from three-point range against the Clippers. Uh, against the Kings, one for nine shooting that night, only six points to prove it. And then against the Warriors, 29 points, 10 rebounds, nine assists for Donovan Mitchell, but Darius Garland... 5 of 19 shooting. Hopefully they can get that turned around. And let's talk about this upcoming week. Tonight, of course, we host the Minnesota Timberwolves. Then later on in the week, we go on the road to play Milwaukee before hosting the Hornets. What do you guys think of this upcoming week of play for the Cavs? So tonight, we debut the City Editions against Minnesota. Uh, they are falling on their face out of the gate. So, you know, you're back home. You're finally you're going to have your uh, legs back under you. Go get a statement win tonight. Go get a win tonight. Milwaukee, we've played them tough last year. I mean, I remember uh, that game in February when we beat them convincingly. That was a really fun game. Can you do that again in Milwaukee? I don't know. Uh, but against Charlotte, they don't have bigs. Charlotte, that game, if you, if you somehow lose to Charlotte, that is an inexcusable loss. So just go 2-1 and one through this week, and I'll be satisfied. Yeah, during my debut episode, I predicted that the Cavs would go 2-1 and one in their week with us losing to Boston. We actually went 3-0. and I'm hoping the same happens here because I have us beating the Timberwolves tonight. I picked the Timberwolves to be a top three team in the West this year, and I think that's still possible. They just haven't figured it out yet. Oh, yeah. Like the Cavs, Minnesota is also on a three-game losing streak. And then Milwaukee... I'm super excited for this Milwaukee Bucks game. They've been playing well all year, but they have lost two of their last three to the Hawks and Spurs. Regardless, it should be a fun clash between two top teams in the Eastern Conference. And then Charlotte, LaMelo Ball made his season debut last night after missing the first 13 games of the season due to an ankle sprain. He scored 15 points in 28 minutes in a loss to the Heat, which was the Hornets' eighth consecutive loss. So I agree with you, Matt. That should be a win. I have the Cavs going 2-1. and one. I'll chalk up that Milwaukee Bucks game as a loss, but I think any game this year for the Cavs is a winnable game oh, with yeah. how well oh, they've yeah. played, not recently, but that eight-game winning streak was, sure, was certainly something special. That'll do it for our NBA talk on today's Sports Power Talk. When we come back from break, though, baseball is the topic of conversation. I'm super excited. We'll do award predictions. Also answer your questions from Hot Mike at WZIP Sports on Twitter. Don't go anywhere. It's all coming up next on WZIP. What's going on, everyone? And welcome back to the best sports talk show there is, was, and ever will be. It is Sports Power Talk live from the University of Akron. My name is Jake Murren. I'm the host of your show today, and I'm joined by Matt Permuka. Set your fantasy lineups. Weekly reminder. It's always a great reminder for Matt on Sports Power Talk. And second, Casey Rush. Uh, We finally can't... uh, We're finally away from... We're finally away from talking about losing teams. That we are. We have some fun award predictions to get to. And then, of course, we'll get to all of your questions on Ha Mike on our Twitter page at WZIP Sports. And it's time to talk about the MLB. I'm excited. Are you guys excited? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. 
I like that optimism. <laughs> and Matt, we've been kind of on the same wavelength recently. Yeah, no, with baseball I, topics. Yeah, like early on in the year, like you were kind of just like you didn't really like talking baseball with me because I was like, oh, baseball's boring. Then I realized you were right, and the Guardians team was fun. And I was kind of making up ground with you. I was getting brownie points, and then I picked a hot dog for my player of the week one week, and I think that burned all the ground I made up. So I think we're back to the point we were in April. So I really gotta like you know kiss up here. <laughs> that you did. You picked, oh, mustard, picked mustard as your player of the week. It mustard, won the first mustard. derby race. Every time mustard won, the Guardians won a playoff game. It's direct correlation. <laughs> all right, all right. Sure, I, I guess you could say that. Let's get into the award predictions though, and we'll start with manager of the year for both. Leagues. We'll start with the American League Manager of the Year. It will be announced at 6 p.m. on Tuesday. The three nominees or candidates are Terry Francona of your very own Guardians, 92 and 70 record for the Guardians, of course, first in the AL Central. Then Brandon Hyde from the Orioles, and then Scott Cervais from the Seattle Mariners. What do you guys think for AL Manager of the Year? We're going homerism here. It's got to be Tito. It's It has to be Tito. I don't... What you had... How many players made their Major League de- debut this year? I know it was over 20. Isn't that the case? Like he a lot. Had, he oh, had so... Lot. He had young guys who had no experience in and out of the lineup all season. We were a game away from going to the ALCS. If Terry Francona is not the manager of the year, we as we as the city of Cleveland and the greater Cleveland area need to riot. Yeah, I could. Yeah, I definitely agree with you guys. I think Tito might has a strong case. This is the youngest roster in all baseball. We've been saying that all year around, and he Terry Francona led these guys to just one win shy of the ALCS. I could definitely, I could definitely see Tito winning. But who is the manager? Mariners manager? Scott Cervais. I could definitely see a strong case for him as well because he did lead Seattle to their first playoff appearance in 21 years. Yeah. I could definitely see a strong case for both of them. This is the way I look at it. Seattle, they went 90-72. and 72. You mm-hmm. mentioned their playoff appearance. But Seattle was kind of expected to play well this year, not maybe to the caliber that they did play with Julio Rodriguez right. breaking out this year. They had expectations. I sure. Mean, they had expectations for the Seattle Mariners. I mean, 90 and 72, have... second in the AL West for the Mariners. Of course, they beat the Blue Jays in the first round of the playoffs mm-hmm. and then lost to the Astros in the ALDS. Brandon Hyde for the Orioles. Now, the Orioles are a team that had zero expectations. They were expected right. to actually be one of the worst teams in the entire Lee, they were yeah. going to be the worst team in baseball. Uh, yeah. And they went 83 and 79, fourth in the AL East. I think it's just throwing a bone to the Orioles saying, hey, good job, but you're not like, going to win AL. I remember, the like, in the, uh, you know, like the dog days of summer, he was the favorite to actually win manager of the year while, actually, like, while Cleveland and Seattle were both actually in the playoff race and Baltimore was hovering around third and fourth in their own division. Yeah, yeah. here's the thing Baltimore did definitely. Definitely did a lot better than we expected. And as for Seattle, they have expectations every year, but they continue to punch their fans where the sun don't shine every single year. So this is definitely a breakout year for Seattle. Yeah, and then you look at the Guardians. Yep. No expectations. No. If anything, expected to be anywhere from third to last in yeah. the AL Central. Yeah. yeah. They go out there, win the AL Central. The Guardians had the best record or a better record than the Orioles and the Seattle Mariners in the regular season. 
Plus, they gave a stronger fight in the postseason. They went way exactly. f- They went farther, yeah. Beat the Rays and took the Yankees to a Game 5 in the ALDS. And Matt, you mentioned the hurdles that Francona had to go through this year with so many debuts of young players. Yeah. You didn't know who your lineup was going to be. We thought Bradley Zimmer and uh, Yu Chang were going to be like everyday players back in uh, March and April. They're not even on the team now. Yeah. It's, it's, cra- it's crazy how much fluctuation that team had and just how he was like, okay, well, they're playing baseball today. Yeah, Terry Francona, win. I don't even think it's homerism at this point. I no. think he blatantly deserves to win. This was a master class in coaching. Yeah, that was a level. master class in managing baseball. Yeah, he deserves to win his third AL Manager of the Year, and I think he will on Tuesday night. Let's go to NL Manager of the Year. Also will be announced at 6 p.m. on Tuesday. Dave Roberts for the Dodgers is one finalist, along with Buck Walter of the Mets and Brian Snicker of the Braves. I have to give it to the team that had 111 wins. Anytime you eclipse triple-digit wins... That is not only an that's not only a accomplishment to the roster itself, but to the people in charge of the roster. Because so many times we see these loaded teams just you know lollygag through the regular season and then try to turn it on for the playoffs. Dave Ro- Dave ah, words Dave Roberts had the Dodgers playing at a high level all season. He's my NL Manager of the Year. Here's the thing: the Dodgers have so much talent, but they could do a lot better with it. And 111 wins? I know, 111 wins. What do you want him to get, 120? But how many wins in the postseason? Isn't this a regular season award? That it is. Okay. It is, but... Thank you. Okay, I mean, yes. It is, Point but... seasons are irrele- Postseasons are relevant. Yeah, but the thing is, Dave Roberts doesn't have a trophy to show for it. Except... No one has a trophy. It's a regular season award. Here's the thing. I actually, I'm actually going to give it to Buck Showalter, because he led the New York Mets to the playoffs... This is the Mets we're talking about. Low Mets. They had 100 wins. Right, and they nearly won the NL. They lost they in the first round. The if we're going playoffs, they also fell short in the playoffs. Yeah, but the Your thing own is, rationale the is your is own the vice. Mets, the thing is, the Mets were expected to lose. The, the Dodgers, Dodgers are the Dodgers. The Dodgers weren't. They always, the thing with Dave Roberts, he always chokes. He, always, he has one ring, but that was during a pandemic year. It's a regular it's, season award. The Mets didn't choke. If we're going to the play, oh my, what, what's your logic here? It's a regular season award. The Dodgers the had the is, most regular season wins. Therefore, expected, the bench. The thing is, I expected more from the Dodgers. I ex- more than a, what did you want him, do you want him to go 162 and I wanted him to dominate the They did, postseason. 111 wins. That, it's not a postseason award, Casey. <laughs> the thing is, I just don't see Dave Roberts winning. I don't expect, I just don't expect. He's the win. odds on, he's minus 10,000 in Las Vegas. As the manager of the year, I, I just, I just don't expect. You have to. I don't ten- want Dave Roberts to win it. I don't. I don't. Jay, I, who, I'm not Jay, calm us down. Interrupt us now. Who's your pick? Who knew that NL manager of the year would be the most heated debate on today's sports power? Talk? I just. I mean, I, I love what I'm hearing, but I completely agree with Matt on this one. I mean, it is a regular respect. season award. Dave Roberts, a hundred. And 11 wins, first in the NL West, best record in the major leagues. He won the award in 2016 with the Dodgers. I fully expect him to win his second NL Manager of the Year with the Dodgers this year. And I kind of agree with you, Matt, when you said that Casey's logic with the postseason didn't really make sense because the Mets 
also, also lost in the first round. They did lose in the first round, but yes, I expected them to lose in the first round. The Dodgers. What the heck happened? They played the Padres. I, you, but you can. Yeah, but the, they are the door. Yeah, but the Padres have been the doormat for the Dodgers for so long. But you can make the argument that Brian Snicker of the Braves deserves NL Manager of the Year more than Buck Showalter. Exactly. Because the Braves he actually, actually got first in the NL we can't East. Play, playoffs are a part of this. The thing is. It's irrelevant, Casey. It's irrelevant. I don't care what you expected. It's a regular season award. <laughs> the thing is, the thing is, the problem is that. Buck Showalter didn't choke. The Mets. Yes, choked. he did. What do you call that? The it's, Braves it's were eighty-six it's, wins. It's low Mets. They're, the team is called low Mets for a reason. I just didn't expect the Mets. I don't care I what you the, expected. Dave Roberts had one hundred and eleven wins. And ah. Uh, I, look, you can make all the Mets choking analogies you want. It's a regular season award. 110 and 111 is more than 101. That it is. Math. <sighs> look at me with my political science major doing math. I could not agree more with you, Matt, and I love how heated you're getting human, over man. an NL Manager of the Year award. Oh. Let's move on, though. Let's see if maybe some of these other award categories get us heated as well. We'll move on to AL Rookie of the Year, which will be announced tomorrow at 6 p.m. The three finalists are Stephen Kwan of the Guardians, Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners, and Adley Rutschman of the Orioles. Casey, I'll go to you first. <sighs> I hate to pick against my team. I know Stephen Kwan did have a good breakout year, but looking at the stats, I'm going to have to go with Julio Rodriguez of the Seattle Mariners. He definitely impressed me. He had twenty. He had a batting average of two eighty four. He had 28 home runs, 25 stolen bases, and he's only 21 years old. He was a huge part of Seattle making the postseason for the first time in over two decades. I... I wish they could go to Quan, but I think it's going to go to Julio Rodriguez. I also have a going to Julio Rodriguez. I mean, I think he was kind of like the uh, darling of the MLB after the home run derby in the second half of the season on Seattle's playoff run. I think it's you know, he was almost he was given such a good edit by the media. Like it's it's kind of like he's he's going to win it. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I hate to. Give it to Julio Rodriguez when Stephen Kwan had such a great year. At least Stephen Kwan walked away with a golden glove this year, but I do expect Julio Rodriguez to walk away with Rookie of the Year. And like you said, Matt, I just feel like a lot of the national attention this year for Rookie of the Year has gone to Julio Rodriguez because he's that he's that star player who hits a lot of home runs. Yes. Stephen Kwan has never been that guy. Nope. Stephen Kwan is that leadoff hitter who's so consistent and dynamic in defense and on offense. He can do everything. He can get you Gold Glover. on base with a, a bunt single. He can hit it around the ballpark, hit some triples as well. Definitely. I'd love to see it go to Stephen Kwan, but we're all in agreement that it will go to Julio Rodriguez. NL Rookie of the Year, not much of a debate in my opinion, but the finalists are Brendan Donovan of the Cardinals, Michael Harris the second, and Spencer Strider, both representing the Braves. Excuse me, sorry. I had Michael Harris as my NL Rookie of the Year. 297 on the year, 19 home runs, 64 RBIs. I think that's a that that's one heck of an outing by a rookie. I agree with you being a Braves player, but I have the other Braves player on this, Steven okay. Strider. Oh. He went as a pitcher, he went 11 and 5. He had an ERA of 2.67, which is absolutely impressive for a pitcher. He had 202 strikeouts, which led this whole 
which led the entire MLB, including 16 strikeouts in one game against the Rockies on September 1st. Strider definitely earned his case for Rookie of the Year. All right, Jake, you're the tiebreaker or a triple tie. Matt? We're on the same wavelength. Oh then. my! Look at me! Again. I said I had to. Ki- I said I had to kiss up because I. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing that. Yeah, look at that. you! Look at you! You're doing a good yeah. job. Michael Harris the second. I do believe he will get Rookie of the Year. It might go to Spencer Strider, but I really do think Michael Harris is the odds-on favorite here for NL Rookie of the Year. Moving on, though, let's talk about some pitchers for AL Cy Young winner. It will be announced at 6 p.m. on Wednesday. The finalists are Dylan Cease. Alec Manoa and Justin Verlander. I don't see how anyone other than Justin Verlander can get this award. Yeah. A one seven five ERA. He only gave up thirty four runs on the entire season. He's thirty eight, thirty nine, coming off of Tommy John surgery. So typically, older player, debilitating injury. You think they're done? No, no. He pitches at he pitches at a Cy Young caliber level and gets a ring. I don't see how anyone outside of Verlander can even be in the. Con- in and the mix. And the thing is, he's in his 30s, and he's still pitching like he was doesn't just he, drafted. Yeah, doesn't he turn 40 in, like, a, a few weeks? I know. It's absolutely insane. Like he said, 1.75 ERA, 18 wins, and 185 strikeouts. And this was a season after Tommy John's surgery. Justin Verlander definitely earned his earned another Cy Young Award, in my opinion. He led the league in ERA and whip off of a serious injury like you guys mentioned. He won the Cy Young Award in 2011 with Detroit and in 2019 with Houston. I fully expect Justin Verlander to pick up his third AL Cy Young winner of his career. Let's move on to the AL or the NL Cy Young, excuse me, for Sandy Alcantara, Max Fried and Julio Urias. I have Sandy Alcantara. 228 ERA incredible absolutely incredible and he only gave up 58 runs on the season he had a couple of duds in september and august where he gave up like five or six in a game if you know if you take a bit of those out he would have had an absolutely elite season i he is my nl cy young winner yeah but i think there's one player that slightly edges him and this is another and this is me again saying how dare you dave roberts stop wasting this man it's urias he has a 2.16 ERA. He had 17 wins this year and 166 strikeouts. Um, both of them could have earned it, but I think Arias just n- narrowly edges him out. Are you going to tie break or triple tie? I'm going with Matt again. Oh, my gosh. Look at me. I, I don't what even, did I ever do to I you? I don't even think it's close. Sandy Alcantara is winning NL Cy Young this year. I don't think it's going to be close. Sandy Alcantara, you mentioned his stats, Matt, but Sandy Alcantara was un hittable this year. Oh, yeah. He's throwing balls north of 100 miles an hour. His breaking balls are cutting like crazy. You take out those two duds I mentioned, he doesn't eclipse 50 given up runs on the season. You take out two or three games, he hasn't eclipsed no, sorry, he hasn't eclipsed 40 if you take out those two games I was mentioning. He led the league in innings pitched and incomplete games with six on the year. The next closest pitcher had three. Absolutely insane. Insane year for Sandy. He is going to be the NL Cy Young. Next up, we'll do NL MVP first because I think the pick here is far more obvious than a debate. I'm excited to have for AL MVP. These will be announced on Thursday at 6 p.m. Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, Manny Machado, NL MVP. Who do you guys got? 
I think we all have Paul Goldschmidt, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, I, have I haven't well. looked at any of your guys' notes. I mean, I don't. 115 RBIs, hitting 317. I, I don't see anyone else that's even in that same stratosphere as him. 35 home runs, 982 OPS, third in the league in batting average, third in the league in OPS, fourth in the league in RBIs, fourth in the league in runs scored. Is that enough stats for Paul Goldschmidt, guys? That is is more than enough stats for Paul Goldschmidt to win the MVP. Like you mentioned, 35 home runs, 115 RBIs, which is amazing. He absolutely absolutely did absolutely amazing with the St. Louis Cardinals. And they did lose to the eventual World Series runner-up in the postseason. And I think if they would have beat the Phillies, they could have gone there as well. Yeah, Goldie for NL MVP. Now AL MVP, a spicy award this year. Jordan Alvarez, can we just throw him out, guys? Yeah, I'm with you there. Let's throw out Jordan Alvarez, and let's get to the Aaron Judge versus Shohei Otani debate. Maybe there won't be a debate. Maybe we're all going Judge. Maybe we're all going Otani. Casey, I'll have you start. Well, I don't want Aaron Judge to win, but I think he's going to win. 62 home runs. He broke the American League record of 61, 131 RBIs, and a batting average of point three one one. It's a shame that the Ast- it's a shame that the Astros still own you, but I think Aaron Judge wins it again. Even though I really want Shohei Otani or Alvarez to win. Yeah, Casey, I'm with you. ESPN, you better not have interrupted my college football Saturdays for four weeks. To watch this guy swing and miss. To not give him the MVP. You did not ruin all of your play-by-play people's momentum to not give this guy the MVP. If you're telling me that he does not win MVP after literally inflicting baseball on America in the most annoying way possible, then what was that all for? I just... Now I just want Aaron Judge to lose based off of that alone. No, he has to win now. He has to. (laughs) Guys, there's no there's no debate to be had because I also agree with you guys. I'm going Aaron Judge for AL MVP. Of course, Shohei Otani is a one in a million talent for the for Major League Baseball. He batted three or two seventy three this year with ninety five RBIs and thirty four home runs, along with pitching one hundred and sixty six innings with a two thirty three ERA. Shohei Otani is an amazing baseball player. But from a batting stance alone, I got to go with Aaron Judge. You guys mentioned his credentials. Aaron Judge, I think, is the pick here for AL MVP. That'll do it for our award predictions. A very fun Did we version agree of award on, predictions. I think and we I think agreed we on every single one. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I I'm think, the I think you got your credibility here. back. Oh, Matt. look at that. Congratulations. Look at that. Let's get to Hot Mike, though, before we go to break. Hot Mike, of course... The segment we do every single week where we answer all of your questions from our Twitter page at WZIP Sports. These questions can be related to sports. These questions can be related to absolutely nothing at all. Let's get right to it as the first question asker is Logan Congrove. Again. Okay. And he asked, Jake, this one's for you. As a Baker Mayfield and a Panthers fan, more so Baker Mayfield than Panthers, but... okay. Keep on going with Logan's question. Okay. How does it feel to see Baker Mayfield one pick and Sam Darnold three pick holding clipboards for an XFL alum and he's outplaying them both? Logan, how about I propose a question to you? Why do you exist? 
<laughs> okay. Like, Do we have to have this conversation? We had this conversation last week with your question, When Matt. a mommy and a daddy love each other very much. Okay. <laughs> God, guys. We're taking this in a literal sense. I don't feel any emotions right now at the Panthers, Logan. That's my response. Remember when you wore a Panthers jersey week one and I made fun of you? I wore it yeah. on Monday, Matt. I wore it on Monday. Okay. Because Baker Mayfield looked great against those Bengals. Okay. So okay. I just wore it on Monday. No, that's that's fair. I've worn it twice. I'm impressed you still haven't <laughs> thrown it out already. It was a gift. In case you have, he, it's a he got it. Okay. It was a gift. Yeah. Okay, I'll give him that. I'll yeah, he that. didn't. He made he made it very apparent to everyone he did not waste his own money on that. Good. Well, thanks for the question, yeah, Mr. Evil Logan Congrove, I guess. Next up, Aaliyah Craig, what do the Guardians need to look for in the offseason? A first baseman that can hit the ball far. Yeah, definitely designated. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, we need. I think we need to just get rid of Brian Shaw and just replace him with somebody else. And definitely, like you said, Matt, first baseman that can hit and make contact with the ball. We definitely need that. Yeah, our pitching staff is loaded. Our bullpen is also loaded. I think we're one or two hitters away from being a real contender in the AL. And I agree with you, Matt. A first baseman would be nice, but even a DH as well. I do like Josh Naylor at first base. Owen Miller, if he plays another game at first base, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. We have to put Gabriel Arias at first base over Owen Miller for now on. Exactly. Owen Miller is a discrimination. Josh Naylor's still at the top of the list for first base for me. DH, we just need an actual DH. I would not yeah. mind sliding Naylor to DH and just letting him hit. I think that would solve some of your issues. I wouldn't mind either, but I'd like more of a pure power hitter at DH. I want us to go acquire that power hitter for DH. I mean, last year, or clearly it did not work with Framel Reyes at the beginning of the year. Yeah, that was Shipped bad. him off, and yep. in the postseason, we're starting rookies at DH expecting... Some kind of pop after our main guys look, in the batting know, Well, look, those rookies, lineup, those I mean, rookies did step up. They did. I game, game three specifically, that was the, that was the walk-off win in Cleveland, right? Yeah, yeah that yeah. was the walk-off. In ALDS, yeah. yeah. I mean, I just think we're one batter or two away. Go acquire one power bat. I think we're right there. That's what I think the Guardians' offseason priorities should look like. Next up, Kelly Craig, Browns record rest of the season with Watson. Mm. So you got to win today. You got to beat ten. I. You win today, I think you run the table with Watson. I think you finish 10-7 and seven if you win today. So does that mean Browns go 6-0 and oh with Watson? Is I, that your prediction? Yeah, that, that, that's what I meant by implying running the table, okay. yeah. Casey? I think you can go ahead and go because I'm looking at schedule right now. But the problem is, the problem is with Watson... You guys have to go against the Bills. You got not with Watson. No, not Watson with Watson. Comes Watson comes game. back against the Texans. He plays the Texans. But you got to play Ravens. You got to play the Bengals, which you've absolutely owned. But you yes. got to play the Ravens again. That's fine. And you got to play the Steelers in that's, Pittsburgh. That's fine. And TJ Watt might be. And TJ Watt's coming back. I'm this shaking week. in my Crocs. And if he stays, and if he stays healthy, then it's going to be a tough battle for you guys. But I do think you might go. Eight or nine, nine or nine or eight the rest of the season, but okay. you never know with the Browns. I think know. we go five and one with Watson. I don't think we pick up both wins against the Ravens and Bengals. I know we own the Bengals, but I, I do think one of those games. I is think going that's to fair. Lost. I think if we were going to lose a game with him, it'd be one of those two. Yeah, I completely agree. Next up, Helv twenty eight. 
how would the teams from the Americas do this time in the World Cup? Also says, if you need to just do the U.S. and Canada, that's fine. From a personal standpoint, I don't cover soccer at all. I don't know anything about soccer, so I'm not even able to do U.S. and Canada. Any of you guys have anything yeah, to unfortunately, offer? Yeah, unfortunately, this is my friend from a podcast that I do outside of this, outside of SPT. I really think the United States can make a can definitely make a mark on the round of 16, but I don't see us advancing any further because we have a group with England and Wales. They're definitely tough opponents from Europe. In Canada, I I either see you go into the round of 16 or you miss out entirely. Yeah, it's a good breakdown. This week is going to be wrestling on SBT Overtime. The week after that, World Cup preview, so definitely look to that for more World Cup breakdown and analysis. If you're looking for that from us at WZIP Sports, next up, Dan Groen asks, is this year's OSU that team up north game going to be the biggest since the game of the century Ooh. in 2006? Ooh, I am licking my chops for this. This is definitely as big as that. I think it was 2006 or 2007 where they were one and two in the nation. This is definitely going to be. This is definitely going to be way close. This is definitely going to be close to that. And I think there was one year in like 2017 where we were two and three, and I could definitely see it being a very, very close game. I'm excited for this. I still think the Buckeyes win convincingly. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Michigan really hasn't played any stiff competition this year. Really, only Penn State. And Cade McNamara has not looked good either. Exactly. And I think it could be bigger than the game in 2006 just because you have that storyline of the Buckeyes lost last year. We're going into the horseshoe. Big game. It might be two versus three. Probably will be two versus three. Obviously, it's going to be a big game in college football. Next up, Cam429. Who is your Heisman top three? He says his is Drake May of UNC, Hendon Hooker of Tennessee, and Stroud. May is absolutely blowing them out of stats wise, or blowing them out of the water stats wise, and as half the team, in my opinion, Drake May for Heisman. I like that list. My top three Heisman finalists, just off the top of my head, in no particular order CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, and, uh, Hooker from Tennessee. I forget his first name. I know I just Hendon. Hendon Hooker. It's Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker. Yeah, that's a very good list, Matt. I think, no particular CJ Stroud, Bryce Young definitely has a chance to win back-to-back Heisman trophies. And Hendon Hooker, he's looked very well for Tennessee. I think, I think those are very good, three very good candidates. Yeah, I like Hooker, Stroud, and I'll also go with Bryce Young. Honestly, I haven't heard much of Drake May. So maybe he is a dark horse Heisman candidate this year. I think UNC is also like what six and four right now. I I think that might hinder his uh, chances. Cam is also a, a North Carolina fan. Oh yeah. So oh yeah. I know that account. Yeah, he's got the Tar Heels as his profile pick. That he does. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. Well, thank you for listening. I'm not very high on the Tar Heels. Though. We appreciate you, Cam. Wait. Next up, actually, Dan Groen. I missed one of his questions. Oh. How dare I? He says, "Who wins in a fight, a Siberian tiger or a grizzly bear?" Because why not? Okay, uh, uh, what climate is this in? Because if it's in Siberia, oh wait, there it's a grizzly bear. They both live in cold weather. Yeah. Oh, look at this is education. <laughs> give give me the tiger. Yeah, I'd say the tiger wins also. I'm gonna go with the tiger as well. Lastly, Jake Mernigo 
Gotta love this dude. Gotta love his oh, questions yeah, every single week. He asks, if you could change one sports moment ever, what would it be and why? He says he would choose Len Bias not dying. Oh. Any sports moment ever. Uh, probably the Browns not moving to Baltimore. Yeah. And if you ask, if you ask me in 2016, it's definitely the Guardians not choking away that 3-1 series lead. Not getting karma for making fun of the Warriors for blowing a 3-1 lead. It's definitely bad. Yeah, that's mine as well. If there was no rain delay, that's what I would change. I would love to see that Rajay Davis moment happen again. Yeah. And then there not be a rain delay. And then the Indians at the time win that World Series. Next up from Jake Murnigo, do you guys like the McRib? I liked it the first time when it came back as a joke. I have not ordered it since, and I despise people that actually purchase that thing on a reoccurring basis. I don't really care about the McRib, to be completely honest with you. Strong words for Matt. I also don't care about the McRib. What is the best gaming console of all time? I'm not the one to ask about this. I will say the Nintendo Wii. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not one to say for game consoles either. It's still... It's still PlayStation, I think. I'm going to go Xbox One, but I think console wars are kind of stupid. You just use what you use, and that's what you do. I think that's stupid, though. Next up, last question, Jake Mern to go, or actually Mike Popovich, who is Jake Mer- or Jay Mern 3's number one fan? Well, Who's my number one fan? Logan Congrove, obviously. <laughs> Logan Congrove's my number one fan? And then Jake Mern to go replies and says me. <laughs> I don't know, man. Who's my number one fan, Casey? Uh... It's gotta be it's gotta be a tie between Logan Congrove and you. That's Dude, that your fan account has really inflated your ego. Yeah. I, I, love, I like yeah, you're I like e- ego, Jake. You're becoming your own biggest fan. Let's be real here. I think Aaliyah Craig might have something to say about being the number one fan. I'll have oh, to give yeah. it to her. Okay. Jake Mernigoat, you're a okay. close second though, man. You're a close second. Love what you're doing. We'll be back on Sports Power Talk. Up next, we'll lead you right into kickoff for the NFL. We'll talk Browns, Dolphins, NFL News, NFL Pickums, all that and more coming up next on Sports Power Talk. What's going on, everyone? And welcome back to the Best Sports Talk Show. This side of Lake Erie, this is Sports Power Talk. My name is Jake Murn. I'm the host of your show today, and I'm joined by Matt Permuka. I think I lost. I'm losing my voice after that last segment. It was a very entertaining one. And Casey Rush. Yeah, I need to save my voice for screaming at the Steelers later. Sorry, Matt. We need, yeah, we need to stop yelling. And this is the last segment of today's show. We always like to reserve the NFL conversation for the last segment. That way we lead you right in to the kickoff for today's slate of games. But before we get to that, NFL news that apparently broke the internet, broke the world this week. I didn't really understand it. The world. The world. But the Jeff Saturday hiring, he was hired as the interim head coach of the Indianapolis Colts this week after Frank Reich was fired. The Colts are 3-5-1 and one and are now left with Sam Ellinger as QB and Jeff Saturday as head coach who has no coaching experience at any level. What do you guys think? Not, I don't even know where to begin. So it's apparent like Jim Irsay and Jeff Saturday have remained friends through Jeff Saturday's retirement. And what this seems like was, this seemed like a conversation after happy hour where it's like, Jeff, man, my team's bad, man, my offensive line's bad. And Jeff's like, Jim, I can fix your offensive line. Let me coach. And Jim Irsay signed a, gave him a contract. And now Jeff Saturday is an NFL head coach, 
of a failing franchise. He has no coaching experience, does not know any of the terminology in any of the Colts systems. He's still learning his players' names. He's still learning his assistants' names. I don't see anything positive about this. I don't, like... This, this is completely different either because he didn't even get to pick his staff. If this was just your coaching hire that you made in, like, February, that would be somewhat justifiable. Jeff Saturday has never met these people. He doesn't know what they – like, he doesn't know the terminology they use on offense, doesn't know the defense. I've said it before. He doesn't know his players and assistants' names. I don't get this at all. Yeah, the Colts are absolutely doomed. Jeff Saturday, I see, is nothing more than a yes man for Jim Mersey. And he actually does have some coaching experience, but it's not past high school. Yeah, he went 3-7 and seven in his son's senior year Yeah, as his high school coach. Yeah, I don't see him and the Colts going forward. The real, besides, the Colts' problems are not absolutely fixed. The real problem is the owner, Jim Mersey. He thinks he knows everything about football because he lucked out on Peyton Manning winning the Super Bowl, and the only reason they won that game was because of Rex Grossman overthrowing everything in sight. Jim Mersey, it's time to let the you let you let the you let the success inflate your ego. You gotta let the air out of that balloon. Sell the team. You're not going anywhere, Jeff Saturday. I'm sorry, it's not happening. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have a lot to say on this Jeff Saturday news. I understand why everybody is throwing a fit about this. Joe Thomas, of course, went on his rant on Good Morning Football. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I don't think it's going to matter. He's an interim head coach. Well, but here's the thing. I don't think it's going to last. Think of this from a player perspective, where your development and your second or third contract is determined from this guy they pulled from a desk on TV. They pulled this guy from on air, and now he's in charge of your development. He's in charge of your future in this league. I would be ter- I would be mortified. I would never want to step foot in, in, in the Indianapolis Colts facilities ever again. No. Yeah, I think it might be tough from a player perspective. And if you think about all the head coaches out there that are qualified for a job like that, to pick Jeff Saturday, I, th- I certainly think it's offensive to those coaches. But at the end of the day, it is Jeff Saturday as the interim head coach of the Cardinals, or the, the Colts, excuse me. And they play the Raiders today. And, of course, that infamous tweet from Jeff Saturday a week or so ago. The Raiders are not good. The Raiders are not good, and now he has to prepare for the Raiders I hope, as an I, NFL I coach. hope Northeast Ohio's own Josh McDaniels absolutely demolishes the Indianapolis Colts today. I hope that. Wait, yeah. Josh McDaniels is from Ohio? Yeah, he went, to, he went to John. No, he went to either. He went to Mountain Union, yeah. Other guys went to John Carroll. Yeah, he went, McDaniels went to Mountain Union. Ugh. He's from Perry. That just makes it, oh, God, that just makes it worse. Ugh. Let's get into the Browns, shall we? Let's I, do it. Yes. yes. Please do. <laughs> Let's get to the Browns. I'm, around I'm the tired roo, of screaming at the Colts. Around the roof from last week. I want to talk about the results from last week. Okay. After the Browns' big win over the Bengals on Monday Night Football, we asked if you were still hopeful that the Browns would make the playoffs this season. Their results, 57% voted no, that they were not hopeful in the Browns' playoff chances this year. I was one of those people that voted no. Since neither of you guys were on last week's show, I'm interested to know what side you guys fell on when it comes to the Browns and the playoffs this year. I'm one of the 43%. I think you need to win today. If you can get lucky and split Buffalo or Tampa, you will have Deshaun Watson coming back, fresh legs in December. The world is your oyster. 
Yeah, that's not shocking coming from you since you are the most optimistic guy here at WZIP. That's saying something because my mom often thinks I'm like a downer. (laughs) Hear that, mom? I do have optimism. (laughs) There you go. Anyways, I just don't see the Browns doing anything. As a fan of a rival, I want this team to fail, and I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna happen. I just want to laugh at somebody else other than my own team. I just don't see the Browns going anywhere because you oh. still have bad luck. Snakes when they when to they you. win today, I will be very obnoxious. Oh yeah, you definitely are. Okay, so we're clear. And if not, win. If we don't if win, the Browns win. Uh, no, then when 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 they do. Okay, you're that confident, huh? Well. No. <laughs> I'm not, not that if, confident. Not if, if I say it no. enough, when? if I say it enough, I'll believe it. <laughs> okay, so that's what you're going for. You just got to say it enough, you'll believe it. Yes, they will go into the one o'clock hour, happy as can be, and then go into the four o'clock hour, sad as can be. No, happy as can be because we're going to be winning. All right, fair all enough. Right. I do like the optimism. I do like the optimism, but these next three games ultimately are going to make the word playoff and the word Browns really test their relationship with each other this year. Of course, these next three games are really important before Deshaun Watson comes back for the last six. Today's game against the Dolphins, we do have one returning player. That is Denzel Ward. And Wyatt Teller. And Wyatt Teller, yes, thank you. He suffered a concussion in week five against the Chargers and hasn't played in the last three weeks. He'll likely be needed against the wide receiver duo in Tyreek Hill. He was first in the league in receiving yards and Jalen Waddell, who is fifth what does Ward's return to the team and Wyatt Teller, for that matter, mean for the Browns as they prepare for the Dolphins? I think you can play man coverage more now. I don't think you should play man coverage at all today. But now the option's there. And that's pretty much all I can say about that. Yeah, you needed yeah, you needed Denzel Ward back that badly. He averages forty six tackles a season and right now he's at twenty one. And the season is still young. It's it's just past the halfway point, and with his playing ability, you're gonna have, you're gonna need him. You're definitely gonna need him. Yeah, I agree with you guys. Other injury reports: David Njoku and Jeremiah Jeremiah Uusu Koromoa are both out. Both players will miss their second consecutive game after suffering injuries in Week Seven against the Ravens. We are without both players for the Bengals and played very well. But against Miami, what do you guys think about the Browns missing Njoku and JOK? All right, I'll start with Njoku. Uh, with Najoku out, you're going to run a lot more ten, per, uh, sorry, eleven personnel with uh, one tight end, three wide receivers, and with that, you saw Kareem Hunt get a lot more use in the passing game against Cincinnati. You saw, you know, jet sweeps to him. The targets that Stefanski had designated to Najoku will now go to Kareem Hunt, so you will have those two guys with their fingerprints all over the game today. As far as JOK goes, I really didn't think he'd play much at all today. He's more of a run support linebacker, which is kind of surprising given his just size ability. I thought they were going to play Ronnie Harrison inside at Wilmore. Deion Jones probably going to play Sam and Taki Taki at Mike. I don't think this is as big of a loss right now as many people make it out to be. Yeah, the thing is, it's a shame because David Njoku is one of the few Browns players on the roster that I actually like. He's one of your biggest weapons. And as you said, Kareem Hunt's going to be getting the ball ball more often. And I just, it's a shame because David Njoku is he's very athletic. He's got very good ability. And JOK, the problem is he's one of your more consistent defenders in terms of tackling. We don't, we don't have those. 
We yeah, don't have that's consistency. Right. You don't, we don't yeah, have you consistency don't, on defense. You don't have consistency on defense. Those but two but, words but don't in terms exist. of consistency, okay. he's right there. And I just think it's another big blow. I think you guys might struggle against Miami. I really do. Yeah, I do like Matt's breakdown, so I don't really have much to add. Three keys for a Browns win. We usually do this when the Browns play. Keys for a Browns win. Casey, I know you're not a Browns fan, but what are your keys to the game? First off, you got to contain the weapons. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. You got to focus on them. You got to make sure that the targets are not falling properly. You need to make sure that these two guys aren't getting the ball very, very often. You need to force them to run the ball and you need to force them to run the ball and not go high through the air. And number two, you need to focus on your O line and D line. You need to pressure to attack Viola because he has been getting sacked. He has been getting sacked as of late. And then you got to protect your Kobe Brissett. And with your defensive line, you could definitely get more pressure on Tua. But the thing is, you need to protect Brissett at all costs. You need, you definitely need to win before Watson gets back. And number three, you just got to take care of the ball. So yeah, sorry about that. I know, I know Miami. I know Miami has been known for forcing turnovers unless your opponent is the Steelers. But you got to take care of the ball if you're the Browns. Just. Just don't make any stupid mistakes. That's all I ask of you. All right, I'll run through these real quick. To attack of Iloa, leads the league in turnover-worthy throws. Capitalize on those. Get a turnover. Win the turnover margin today. Number two, keep Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle in front of you. You're going to be dropping eight almost every snap today. As long as they don't run through you and past you, you can, you can hopefully capitalize on their inefficiencies and hopefully force some three and outs down the road. And then number three, no turnovers by Jacoby Brissett today. This defense will let you run on him. They'll let you throw on him. We're going to go out guns blazing early because they're going to be sending pressure in the box. Jacoby's going to be throwing early. Hopefully it's not often. Yeah, those are some good keys. I have some pretty similar ones as well. First, limit explosive plays. Hill and Waddle are going to play well, and I think have great games today. I'm expecting them to run all over our defense. So rather than limiting the duo as a whole, let's focus on limiting the explosive plays that that these two players can make. Second, put pressure on Tua. Again, I'm expecting the the Dolphins offense to score a lot of points today, but Tua's ability to get the ball to his playmakers will be harmed if Miles Garrett, Jadavion Clowney, Deion Jones, and others are able to make him feel uncomfortable from the first whistle. And then lastly, be turnover-free. Of course, having zero turnovers should always be a focus for a game, but the Browns can't afford to give free possessions to the Dolphins in that high-powered offense. I think the Browns will have success on the ground, so I'm relying on Brissett and possibly Amari Cooper to not throw an interception today. I forgot about that. Yeah, I'm sorry for reminding you, man. No, no, it's sorry. fine. We won. It's okay. That we did. That we did. Over under time. I create the over and unders. You guys give me your thoughts. Jacoby Brissett throws for over under 230 yards. 232.8 yards per game is his average this season. Oh, boy. I'll take the under. Yeah, I'll take the under as well. I'm going to take the under as well. Tua Tungavaloa throws for over under 280 yards this game. I'll take the slight over. I'm going to be slightly under for this one. I'm going to go with the over. I agree with Matt on that one. Next up, Nick Chubb runs for over under 105 yards. Ooh. I'm going to say under because Kareem's going to get some touches today. 
I'm going to say under, but not by much. I'm going to say over for Nick Chubb. The next one actually has to or involves Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt scores over under a half of a touchdown. Does he get in the end zone? I'll say he gets in the end zone. Any any kind of touchdown? Any kind of touchdown. Yeah, I'll say he gets in. Yeah, he's definitely going to reach the end zone over. He has three rushing and one receiving touchdown this season for Hunt. I'm going to say he does not get in the end zone today. Next up, Tyreek Hill receives over under 120 yards. I'll say over. Yeah, I think it might be over as well. I'm going to say over. Tyreek Hill is very good, explosive, leading the league in receiving yards this year, plays well against the Browns as well. Jalen Waddle receives over under 90 yards. Under. I think under. I'm going to go over. I think these wide receivers are going to have a field day with the Browns defense. Both teams combined will have over under two and a half turnovers. Ooh. I'll say under. I think it might be slightly over, not by much. I'm going to go under. I don't expect the Dolphins to have any turnovers today. We'll see about the Browns. I'm going to go with the under. Last one, Cade York misses over under a half of a field goal. Under. He's missed one in each of the past two games. Under. We're back on the Cade York hype train. I'm on the Cade York hype train. Hype train. I'm not no, I'm on back the mic. On it. I am as well. Okay. But I'm not on the mic prefer. Yeah, you're you're right. You're right. And I feel like those he might be the reason for the past two games in those oh, missed field no, goals. No, very much so. He's the like reason that. we lost the Jets and Chargers game. Uh but anyway, yeah, under for Cade York. Okay. I'm gonna say over. I'm going to say under. I'm with Matt on that one as well, which leads us right into our NFL Pick'ems for Week 10, where we lead you right into kickoff. Let's start with the 1 o'clock slate of games, the 2-6 and six Lions on the road to play the 3-6 and six Chicago Bears. Duh, Bears. Duh, Bears. Duh, Bears, yeah. I mean, the Bears are going to win. Incredible game last week against Miami. I expect them to win at home. Next up, the Titans, who are 5-3, and three, hosting the 3-5 and five Broncos. I'll give me the Titans. Yeah, give me the Titans as well. It's crazy the amount of hate that Russell Wilson and the Broncos are getting this year, yet they sit at 3-5. and five. Regardless, I'm going to go with the Titans at home. Next up, Vikings, who are 7-1, and one, going on the road to play the Bills, who are 6-2, and two, coming off that loss to the Jets. But Josh Allen will be active today. All right, two-parter. Vikings cover the spread. Buffalo still wins. Yeah, why is this game not on Sunday Night Football? I'm going to say the Bills beat the Vikings. I like the Vikings here. The Bills, we don't know how they're going to play. They're coming off that loss. Josh Allen, I think he's healthy enough to play, but how well will he play? I'm really high on the Vikings this year. I think they're one of the best teams in the NFC. Their record proves it. Their talent proves it as well. Texans 1-6-1 and on the road, taking on the New York football Giants, who are 6-2. and I'll take the Giants by default. Yeah, I'm going to save the Giants as well. I also have the Giants. Next up, the Chiefs, who are 6-2, and two, hosting the Jaguars, who are 3-6. and six. Yeah, Kansas City, easy. Kansas City. Kansas City, easily at home. Arrowhead, I do like the Chiefs in this one as well. Saints on the road, taking on Casey, your Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers going to tank, bull. I'm going to say the Saints. I'll take the Saints. I'm going to take the Steelers at home. Oh, boo. Really? I mean, I don't like it. The Saints are so inconsistent this year. They beat the Raiders 24-0. to Then they lose on Monday night to the Ravens. Now they're going on the road to Pittsburgh. I'm going to go plus with the Steelers. Plus, T.J. Watt's coming back, so don't Mika's out, though. That's a big thing as well. Mm-hmm. 
the the lone four oh five o'clock game, the Colts on the road against the Raiders. The Raiders. I'll take the Raiders. Yeah, I'm gonna say the Raiders as Wait, well. Wait, this is the only four o'clock game? The only four oh five. Oh, I was gonna say we America gets to watch Jeff Saturday fail nationally. Call me crazy. Yes, you're crazy. I'm going with the Colts. You're crazy. Yeah, this is going to be a tank bull. I could see this going either way. I think Jonathan Taylor has a bounce back game. He needs one. And the Colts are going to win. And this whole Jeff Saturday dilemma this entire week is going to fall short and be silenced just a little bit. Just a little bit after their win over the Raiders. 425 has two games. Cardinals at Rams. Cowboys at Packers will start Cardinals Rams. Matt Stafford's uh, availability is still up in the air. I'll take the Cardinals. Actually, I have the Rams winning that one. I might not pick Kyler Murray the rest of these uh, the rest of this year. I'm going with the Rams for that one. Uh-huh. Cowboys Packers. Cowboys. Yeah, I'd say the Cowboys finally exercise the demons. They win today. Yeah, the Cowboys now have seemingly a one-two punch in the backfield. At least mm-hmm. they're looking good. Packers looking the opposite. They're completely yeah. broken. Aaron Rodgers yeah. is broken. I like the Cowboys on the road. Sunday night football, Chargers on the road taking on the San Francisco 49ers. I'll take the Niners. Yeah, I'm going to say San Francisco as well. Yep, I like the 49ers. And now for our most important picks, which we track each and every week on our Twitter page at WZIP Sports. Monday night football, Commanders on the road taking on the undefeated Eagles. Ooh. Oh, Philly. That's not a question. Yeah, no question. Eagles. Yeah, I'm going with the Eagles as well. Spoiler alert. Everybody at WZIP Sports picked the Eagles to win that Monday Night Football game. Not or Everybody didn't pick the Browns or the Dolphins, though, which is our next game. Browns visiting the Dolphins. Two minutes away. Matt, what do you think? Give me the Browns. You're just going to pick the, the Browns. Browns every week? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, good. I'm, I'm, I haven't picked against them yet. Why start today? I mean, you have a better record than I do, so what can I say? Yeah, exactly. You should listen to me. You and your optimism. I'm going to say the Dolphins. I have the Dolphins as well, and I don't think it's going to be very close today either. Pains me to say it, but that is my prediction. All right, that will do it for the November 13th edition of Sports Power Talk. Other than the NFL, we discussed Akron Zip Sports with college football and basketball, the city edition uniforms for the NBA, and the Cavs regarding our Around the Rube question, which is live on our Twitter, MLB Award predictions, and so much more. Any last thoughts on today's show, gentlemen? Oh, nothing on the show. I just want to say happy Veterans Day. I didn't get the chance to really say anything uh, this past week when it actually was uh, the holiday. Uh, but shout out to my brother specifically. Four terms, four uh, four uh, trips overseas. Thank you, Joe. You're the reason I get to go yell about sports takes right now. Uh, and both of my grandparents, well, grandfathers, they're no longer with us, but they were both veterans. So thank all the veterans out there. Great yeah. point there, Matt. Yeah, Is huge he- shout out to my grandpa Chuck. He was he served in the army, and huge shout outs to Dad, who recently became chief petty officer for the Navy Reserve. And huge thank you to you too. For your service and being able to become and allowing me to become the person I am today. Yeah, big shout out to all those who have served. Go Cavs, go Browns. 
Follow us on Twitter at WZIP Sports. Vote in this week's visual around the Rue. Watch our sports updates, interact with Hot Mike, and so much more over there. As always, check out our podcast, SBT Rewind and SBT Overtime, on any and all podcast platforms. We have a wrestling episode coming out tomorrow. I know the demand is high for a fantasy football episode, and I promise you won't have to wait on that for long either. Joining me on today's show were Matt Permuka. I'm Casey Rush. My name is Jake Murren. I won't be here next week as I'll turn the hosting chair over to Logan Congrove. I usually apologize to you all for this, but unplanned, I accidentally scheduled him on a Sunday where the Cavs play the Miami Heat. No, you didn't. No. It was an accident, guys. I promise. Okay, okay. I'm sure the Heat culture enthusiast himself will have a field day next Sunday until the Heat inevitably lose to the Cavs. Until I speak to you all again, though, be kind to one another, and WZIP Sports will be back next week, same time and place for more Sports Power Talk on 88.1 WZIP.